0: Hi there and welcome to a new episode of Impact Talks. Today we have an exciting guest, Jesse Eckel. He's a YouTuber. I've been following him along. He just crossed his 100,000 subscriber mark. Really excited to have you on, Jesse. Please tell the people what you do.
1: Thanks. Yeah, so I'm a YouTube creator who uh, basically I had a business that because of, you know, COVID and the lockdowns went under and I ended up losing... All my income for the year in a span of a couple of weeks, and I had to kind of reinvent myself and innovate. And so I started this journey uh, on trying to just, you know, just bring in income for my family. And I started documenting that journey originally on TikTok, and a lot of people kind of resonated with it, I think, because of the season that everyone was in, being in lockdown and all of that. And I ended up transitioning over to YouTube and that took off as well. And now I now I'm a full time YouTube creator.
0: Nice. I think I have to put it a little bit into context, because if you look at the guests of our podcast, we have a lot of tech entrepreneurs making hundreds of millions and huge corporates. And here you're coming. And I think that what your journey represents is so representative to many people. And it was very representative To also what I had to go through and what many people through the pandemic had to go through. And I think um, I would be surprised if you don't hit the million subscribers really fast because you had quite a fast growth also to the hundred thousand from from, of course, what I've seen since I've been following you. Um, And so for that reason, I'd love to explore more about your background. And before we kind of dive into what if people see your YouTube channel, they might see crypto, they might see you know, your entrepreneurial journey, but I want to go a little bit sooner than that. What were you doing before the pandemic? What was your business and how did you kind of innovate? Um, and are you still kind of doing the same type of business as back then?
1: So before the pandemic, I filmed weddings. So I would go out to the Bay Area and I would film uh, sometimes 500,000, sometimes million dollar weddings. I'd worked my way up from kind of being the guy on Craigslist saying, Hey, I'll film your wedding for free to the guy that was filming high end kind of luxury weddings. And, uh, I would typically work between 12 to 20 weeks out of the year. The rest was what I called reverse summer because it was usually in winter where I had an off season and spend time with my family and I don't, yeah, life was awesome. And so I went from that, which was primarily, I guess, recording events to uh my mindset was after covid and after lockdowns i know how to film videos but i don't see a lot of like traction in just going and filming videos what if i combined filming videos with marketing and so that was my original intent was like i just started reading a lot about marketing and uh diving deep into the world of marketing with this idea of doing like hybrid video marketing and uh i you know eventually kind of totally failed at that uh (laughs) I had a lot of ideas. I had a lot of things I wanted to do and they didn't end up panning out uh, with that. But I kept learning. I kept innovating kind of past my failures. And I think that's what people really liked seeing was that I was failing along the way, but I was being upfront and honest about those failures. And I kept persisting despite those failures.
0: What were some of the failures that were the most, that people say they resonated the most with or you learned the most from?
1: Well, I mean, so on my TikTok account, which is where I started, I started this journey with zero income. I had no income coming in despite months and months of me trying. I could not figure out a way to bring in any income. My bank account was running dangerously low. So I came up with this idea because I was like, I need to do something massive or I'm just going to totally fail. So I came up with this idea of trying to make a million dollars from scratch with zero income in a year. And it's not building a million dollar business. It was a million dollars profit, not revenue, profit from scratch. And so uh, people really liked that idea. And I felt like it was an insane idea. You know, like uh, I didn't have this idea of how I was going to do this, but I believed that there was some sort of path forward if I could only kind of stumble upon it. And so um, I spent an entire year trying to do that. And I tried so many different business ideas and so many different Uh, side hustles and different things like that. And what really resonated with people was at the end of my journey, at the end of my year, I did not hit a million dollars. I made it to $147,000. But people resonated with the fact that although I had failed, I had like sort of transformed my life, right? Like my my original mission was just to bring an income and support my family. And so I, I didn't hit my goal, but I did transform who I was. I did become, you know, this entrepreneur who, who could accomplish much more than I thought I was capable of. And I did, you know, achieve my end goal of, you know, paying the bills and paying rent. And, you know, I ended up making a little bit more than I was typically making filming weddings.
0: But I mean, at the end of the day, one hundred forty seven thousand dollars of profit that's a really good income. I think that's that's, of course, way above average uh, for normal people. So I think that's probably why people liked it. Um, What were some of the begin like the if if people are looking at this podcast, they're thinking, how in the hell did you make in one year that kind of money? How did you start? What were like the exact beginning thought processes and experiments that actually brought in money?
1: So in the start, I launched the series and I had literally no idea what I was going to do. I had been reading. So I'd been reading books every single day. So, um, not really reading, so I was listening to Audible like audiobooks. And so, kind of my mindset from reading these books was that if I surround myself with all these really smart people, kind of like your podcast, right? If I if I'm hearing constantly from these people that have been where I want to go, uh I'm going to pick up things along the way. It's kind of like being mentored by them, especially when they're writing a book, because they're, they're really wanting to pour their legacy into this book. They're really wanting to make it good. So they don't hold anything back. They give all their best tips, all their best tricks. And you know, it's a, the equivalent of getting one-on-one time with that person and being able to say, Hey, like, tell me everything that you've learned. And so I was constantly doing these things. So I had this idea of like, I know crazy things are possible, but I didn't know the exact path that was going to actually get me there. So I launched the series and I was like, great, I got the series going. My week, my week one goal was a thousand dollars. What am I going to do? And so I actually started by doing cold calling. Cause I thought, well, I hear about a lot about cold calling. It's, it's hard work it, it must pay off. And so I cold called, I had like this list. I went to the chamber of commerce site in my uh, local county. I lived in like a really small town. And so I just started cold calling everyone. And I'm like the worst at cold calling. Um, I did a a YouTube video about it and it's like, I'm I'm really, really bad at it. I, I get all nervous. I get like in my head and so I would, but I had a goal of like 50 a day, 50 a day. And then I tried to like up that as time went, but despite doing that for six days in a row, um, and, and I also did like forms on websites. I did emails, um, I did messages on Instagram. I, I did everything I could think of despite doing all of that. I did not get one person to agree to do anything with me. And I was really bummed. And I really did not want to fail my first week. My goal was a thousand dollars. And so I was like, well, okay, what can I, what can I do to actually get there? And I was, uh, remembering that I had a friend, he's a financial advisor. And he had mentioned just one time we were hanging out that like, how cool would it be if he had like his own gifts, you know, like, uh, like animated gifts to send to his clients. And I was like, that that's a cool idea. I didn't really think much of it, but in that moment I was like, I could call up Lucas and what if I charged him a hundred bucks to take some photos and turn them into gifts? That at least gets me some money in my pocket. So I called him up and he was like, yeah, like I'll, that sounds great. So then I had a hundred bucks. And then um, I was getting ready to start cold calling people cause I was like, kinda had some wind in my sails. Like, okay, I got a little bit and I ended up getting a, a spam call. So like if you own a business, you're probably familiar with like the fact that you'll get these calls from different, like Yelp, different companies, web companies, SEO companies are like, Hey, we want to help you out. We want to get you set up on this. And, um, so I got those all the time cause I had my, my business, my wedding business. And so I ended up getting one of those calls and, um, at the time I was reading a book on negotiation and I had read a book called the Aladdin factor, which was just basically like the ability to ask for things you want. And so the guy was trying to get me set up with like, uh, it was like an e-commerce thing where you could get loans for, and like backing for your business or whatever. But I ended up telling him my story, like trying to make a million dollars a year that I was just starting out. And I, he he loved the idea. He was like, that's amazing. And we ended up just like talking, we ended up jumping on a, a FaceTime call or whatever, or a zoom call. And he, cause he wanted to hear more about this story. And I ended up pitching him on this idea of like, what if you guys sent me money to support my journey? I have nothing I can give you in return. I don't have like, it's not advertising, it's nothing just like you guys help entrepreneurs out. Why don't you help me out? And you'll become part of the journey. And the, and the company was ClearBank. And so um, they ended up, he ended up calling up his supervisor. He ended up getting him on the phone and they PayPal would me over money. And that's how I ended up making my, my first money to get started. And so it was a lot of like ragtag things like that where I was just doing whatever I could. Like the next couple of weeks I was selling things. I was I did like a big garage sale, sold stuff out of my garage. I'd sold them on Facebook marketplace. I sold uh, like my PS4 um, and, and that's how I was. I was just trying to hit those goals. It was all mental. I knew it was all mental in my head. Like if I can get some wins, I can get some motivation. And once you're winning, it's easier to keep winning, right? And then I started coming up with ideas. One of my ideas was, uh, to help restaurants, but I didn't know how, cause I knew restaurants were struggling because of COVID. So me and my buddy teamed up and we went to a restaurant and we said, Hey, we'll build you a website. We'll do it for free. I had built my own website for my business. So I was like, like using Squarespace, like I don't know how to code or anything. It was really simple, but they, they had a pretty bad one. So they liked that idea. I did it for free. And I said, all I want to do is I want to learn about your business. Tell me where your needs are. Cause that's one of the books I'd read says, you know, if, if you want to make money, just solve bigger problems. It's all about solving problems. So I was like, okay, what problems can I solve? They told me everything. And I saw a need in marketing. They had this guy that was doing marketing. He was doing a really poor job of it. And I was like, Hey, we'll do your marketing. We'll, and we asked for $1,500 a month. Um, I didn't get that much. I don't. I only got after all expenses. And after my, my partner, I got uh, 550 a month. But that's how I started getting some passive income because we had everything. We hired somebody on Fiverr to do all the um, social media management, we hired somebody to do all the photography for what we were doing. And so that was another win. And then, um, uh, so I was like, okay, this one works. Um, at one point I tried Pinterest ads that didn't work. I tried Facebook ads. Cause everyone was talking about how much money you made. I just wasn't good at it and it didn't work. I tried Google ads and that one did work. I found a, um, a local company, uh, where they worked on furniture and I said, Hey, let's, uh, let's try out Google ads. And, uh, I'll, I'll do it for free, you just have to pay the ad spend. So they ended up agreeing, um, they paid the ad spend. It was like 200 bucks that we were working with to start. But they ended up getting one client from it and they're like, okay, uh, you know, this is cool. And I was like, all right, can we raise the, raise the ad spend and start paying me? And so I ended up getting passive income from that. Um, once I got it all set up, it was like, it'd take me like a couple hours each month. And because of that, I was able to get referrals to other clients. Um, and so I started building up all these different sources of passive income as time went on. Um, and it like I said, it was all me just like rapidly testing things and trying them. Um, and, and I did get to a point where I was like trying too many things, where I had like 20 different things going. And I was working like 14 hour day- days and it was, it was crazy. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of experimenting.
0: What I love and what I hear from that journey is that you tried what everybody hears they should do cold calling, emailing, messaging, and none of it worked. So how come it didn't work now that you have the experience looking back? Why didn't it work? And and what would actually be good advice for somebody starting a business?
1: Well, I I think on one hand, you got to recognize your own skills. I'm not a salesy guy. I am like i love helping people that's like my passion i love helping people and so i don't i know when i'm on the phone like i hate spam calls and i was like i'm the spam call and so i had no confidence in it i had no confidence to sell it um so but when it was flipped you saw it you know and i got a spam call well i was like well i'm not spamming him he's spamming me so like (laughs) then i had the confidence to sell it so you got to recognize your skill set your personality type Uh, you also got to recognize like, you know, with Facebook ads, I just didn't have the technical know-how, uh, to, to do what I needed to do, or maybe it was too competitive and I, I just didn't know. Um, but that's why I rapidly test things because there's so many variables in play. Like, you know, maybe Facebook ads was a really great opportunity, but, you know, during the time I was trying to do it, it was actually more difficult. Um, or maybe I didn't have the skill set, or maybe any number of variables. So rapidly testing is what is what really helped me because um you give it your all if you fail and it doesn't fit right you move on if you fail and you feel like you love what you're doing and you want to persist then you keep persisting and that's it's basically just what i was doing
0: what was the first thing where you failed at that you thought oh i want to keep persisting and i think maybe a question because you've been doing it now for more than a year um when is it when should you like stop?
1: So that's a good question. Um, for me, I, it always comes down to how much I enjoy it. So I, one thing I learned reading a lot of these books is that opportunities abound. And if you have a scarcity mindset where you're thinking, you know, this is my only opportunity, that's when you get stuck in a trap. But when you realize that there are just especially today, there are so many opportunities and it's just about picking the right one. That's really freeing and that was really freeing for me. So, you know, when I had an idea like Facebook, like I'm sure if I would have persisted hard, like if I really wanted to do Facebook ads, I'm sure I could have made something work, but it was not my thing. Like I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Like it was just, hey, how can I bring in more income? The first thing that I persisted at that was not working for me was YouTube. YouTube, I'd always wanted to be a YouTube creator. And early on, I'd started uh, trying to do YouTube videos like b- before even TikTok, right? And I I thought, what if I do a ton of YouTube videos because it's all about quantity and I'll see what happens. So I made like 60 different YouTube videos. I did them like really, really easy. I, I had the, the video uh, skills to make them look nice, um, but they were pretty basic. And out of all 60 most of them, like 99% of them got zero views, not even one, zero. And the ones that had one were because I watched it or my wife watched it. And there was a couple that got like 200. And so that was really defeating for me. Like, wow, like I just thought YouTube's dead. Like, you know, you, you can't grow on YouTube anymore and you know all that. But then later as I was reading more books, I was like, that's not the right mindset to have. I had built up a little bit of my TikTok audience and I thought, what if I got a little bit of traction from my TikTok and started saying, Hey, like go check out my YouTube. And I, and I did that and I ended up getting to a thousand followers. Um, and then I start going. So, so I did that and I started, you know, recording YouTube videos and I still wasn't getting that much traction, but I loved it. Like it was so fun to me. I, I enjoyed being a YouTube creator so much is like I got to help people. And I got to create like, I, I, I'm a creator at heart and I love helping people. So it's like everything I love to do naturally, I got to do and got paid because I got to a point where I unlocked the monetiz- monetization and I was making like, I don't know, like eight bucks a month. Like it wasn't that much, but for me, I was like, this is crazy. Like I'm getting paid to do something I love. And so I had this moment where I, I sat down with my wife and I was like, Hey, I know we need the money and I know, you know. There's a lot of other things going on, but I want to do YouTube. Like I want to make this happen. I want to commit to it. Like the next five years, 10 years, however long it takes, I'm going to be a big YouTube creator. And I would seen another creator, Eric. He's like a big YouTube guy. I, I loved his journey and, and watching it. And I um, actually have a buddy who uh, he knew Eric. Um, cause he grew up in the Atlanta area and he was like, somehow had a connection from there and he, he Eric had had that same dream. He wanted to be a YouTuber and he was like, I'm going to do anything it takes to, to make this happen. And so I was like, I'm going to do anything it takes to make this happen. And, um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't give up. I persisted. And, uh, even though at the start I was getting not, no, traction, like you said, it only took a moment. Like I had one video take off and then in the matter of months, I went from 6,000 followers to now over 100,000.
0: Maybe, maybe considering we're talking about YouTube, can you go a little bit more detailed? We've had a couple of YouTubers on and everybody explains kind of their journey, Um you know, goes from somebody was a comedian and then they went on YouTube to somebody just doing YouTube because like one of them uh, was Lori, he, he owns the hydraulic press channel. And he had this factory and he pretty much just recorded how this hydraulic press would crack everything. Um, but you, from what I imagine, you are a real kind of new generation YouTuber. Somebody who decides to become a YouTube creator and then finds the content to become this successful YouTube creator. Like, you know, the example Iraq and stuff like that. So... Can you, from your journey, looking back, if a new creator is listening to this, somebody wants to become a YouTube creator, can you describe the journey from zero to a thousand subscribers, how you would handle it? And then a thousand to 10,000 and 10,000 to 100,000. How would you handle it with the knowledge that you have right now?
1: Yeah, so um, starting out, the hardest thing about YouTube is getting to that first thousand subscribers. So um, that's brutal because you need tr- some sort of traction on YouTube to get going. And I had this weird thing where like, I wasn't sharing kind of any of the stuff I was doing with like my friends and family. Um, I-, I don't know why I was doing that. I kind of had this idea that it'd be fun to like, you know, one day just be like, Oh, by the way, I'm secretly famous. Or like, by the way, I'm secretly a billionaire, you know? And so I, I don't know. I kind of had this dream and I didn't want to give up on it. So I was trying to get a ways around that. And so when I first started, I, I wasn't sharing a lot of the stuff I was doing, um, but then when my TikTok ended up taking off, that was a really great way to get people just an initial audience. And I had a lot of follow; I had like two hundred thousand followers on TikTok. Um, but despite that, I was barely able to get like a thousand people over to actually watch my content on YouTube. So uh, that was rough, but it, it was enough to get started. So the first thing is realizing the hardest battle is getting that first thousand. That is the hardest part because that's all like just a lot of work. A lot of you like going on forums, asking your friends and family to follow, um, you know, that's hard. But after you get a thousand followers.
0: Wait, before you go to after the thousand. So you did TikTok and that TikTok audience became your first thousand.
1: So what people don't understand is TikTok is infinitely easier to grow on than YouTube. So if you want to start an audience, start on TikTok. The content, it t- I could make like 10 videos in like three hours. It's really, really easy to make content for TikTok because it's short format. They're 15 second videos. They do not require a lot of effort. You can do it with your phone. And TikTok in a lot of ways is about quantity over quality. Um, and that's why so many people like will spam it with just tons of quality or sorry, tons of quantity. Um, and it only takes one to really start get, to get a following. Like I, I've had so many people I know are like TikTok famous, but it's because it's so much easier to grow. It only takes one video, but the downside with TikTok is that you could have, you know, a million followers, 5 million followers, and you could post videos that are hardly getting any views. There's people with a million followers that are getting like hundreds of views or maybe a little over a thousand views. And so that's the negative drawback is the, it's it's inconsistent because you're somebody they spend 15 seconds with every so often. They're not really like they haven't built like an emotional relationship with you like through the app. Um, where YouTube, you know, they're watching you for 10 minutes and they're doing it on a weekly basis. It's it's a way different uh, game, and so um, it's easy to grow an audience on TikTok. You you then move that audience over to YouTube. Keep up your TikTok content. That's probably the easiest way to get to a thousand followers today. That'll change in the future and it'll be a new a new method. But right now that's the easiest way to get to a thousand followers. But then from that, from there, it's all strategy. Oh, wait,
0: just a second, just a second, just a second. So in TikTok, can you monetize TikTok? Is it like YouTube or you actually earn money if you have followers or not?
1: You do earn money, uh, you don't earn that much. So like with 250,000 followers, I think I've made a total of like, since over a year, since the, the creator uh, program launched, Maybe like eight hundred bucks. Uh
0: okay, so it's not that much.
1: It's not that much. And even like the top, top TikTokers from TikTok are not making that much. Like they're getting like millions and millions and millions of views. On YouTube, they'd be like making millions of dollars. But on TikTok, they're making like thirty grand, fifty grand, which is a lot of money. A lot of money. But for how big they are on TikTok, um, it's mostly through brand sponsors and, and different things like that. But you have to be a pretty large creator to to get those well. I know, um, I have had creators in the past because my whole thing was side hustles and stuff like that. I've had creators with like 3 million, 4 million followers reach out to me and say, Hey, how are you making money? Cause I have all these followers. I'm getting all these views, but I only make $2,000 a month. And it, it's surprising, um, hearing some of those things. So, um, but yeah, so, so TikTok after, after you get that thousand views, then you kind of unlock this whole different world or sorry, a thousand subscribers, this whole different world where it's all based on strategy, time and persistence. So for one, you want to niche down and a lot of people don't realize that. But if you want to be successful on YouTube, you need to pick a niche. And this has everything to do with the algorithm and the way people think they're coming to you for one specific thing. Right. Um, and, and the whole thing with YouTube is watch time. So the longer you can keep somebody watching on YouTube, the more YouTube loves you. If you keep somebody on YouTube for hours, YouTube is going to promote you like all over the place because you are assisting in their mission, which is to keep people on the platform as long as physically possible. And the way that you do that well is if all your content relates and and it all fits and it's high quality, it's really easy for people to jump from video to video to video to video. But just starting off on YouTube, you're probably going to have like five videos. So you, you can't expect like these crazy results because the most they could jump to would be all five videos. And it's probably likely that all five of those videos aren't very good, especially if you're just starting off. But as you build up a library of 500 videos, well, out of those 500, you probably have five that are really, really good. And so they're just uh, YouTube's recommending those. Um, and YouTube might even use those videos as like a part of their like string of videos in other, like it might be like one from two creators, then you're in the middle and then it's two other creators. And that also helps your channel because again, if you're an integral part of that string, then YouTube's going to be promoting your video and recommending it highly. So it's all about this strategy, persistence and time and just being consistent. And then the thing that really took me over the, like over and, and had my channel just really blow up though was that a lot of people treat their YouTube subscribers from the way that they do their thumbnails to the way that they talk on their videos. It's more as like, they're the, they're the way that they, they're almost like robots on the other end, right? They don't, they don't treat them as like real people on the other side. And, and so when I shifted my mindset to like, you know, like, these are all real people like this is crazy. I might only have 6,000 subscribers. That's 6,000 people that are real people out there in the world that follow my videos. And I started getting these comments where like, you're my favorite YouTuber and I actually would print those out and I hang them on the wall. Um, because I was like, this is crazy. And it's a good reminder that like, I'm not just talking to like nobody's on the internet. Like these are all real people. And so, um, that was a big mindset mindset shift for me that caused me to kind of act differently and relate differently. I got rid of like the cheesy thumbnails. I started doing thumbnails like I would want to see. Um, I stopped doing the format where I was like basically using a keyword searcher to find like the topics. And I said, I'm just going to talk about the things that are relevant to my journey. And I'm going to talk about the things um, that I think are going to relate to my audience. You know, my core audience, not, I'm not trying to game the algorithm anymore. I'm trying to talk to people. And that's, once I started doing that, my YouTube absolutely blew up. And I believe that's going to be my secret weapon the whole way through. So
0: so let's go a little bit more specific because it's definitely not the first time I hear something like that. And I think it's also a very big um, I don't want to like put down your words, but it's a big cliche to say, you know, I talk to my audience and, and this is who my audience. How did you find out what your core audience is? How did you find out how they think? And I think the most important question with YouTubers looking who want to become a YouTuber, you know, how are you drafting the titles of your videos to fit your audience
1: so it's the same thing if you like created a product or started a company right um i read about this in a lot of marketing books where you have to come up with your your customer like um avatar your avatar right and so they'll say hey get a picture of somebody that's your actual customer their name where do they live where do they go to the college What are their interests you know all that kind of stuff and so i would picked up a lot of that from a lot of these books um and the reason they do that and the reason they stress those things in those books is because it's weirdly easy when you're creating a business to not think about the other person on the other side right you're just, you're thinking somebody's gonna like this you're not really thinking about the fact that, you weirdly disconnect from that person's humanity in a weird way. And as a creator, you do the exact same thing. You don't know these people. You've never met them. You've never shook their hand. You don't know what kind of people they are. Um, and, and a lot of times if you're definitely, if you have like low self-esteem, you might think like, well, these are just weird people that like me. Like, cause you know, no, no, what normal is going to be like watching my content. Right. And when you, when you disconnect like that, it, it leads you to make dumb choices. like, you know, just looking at the keywords, at just doing uh, videos to get more clicks. But when you connect back to it and you say, okay, this is a real person. Like what I would do is I would read the comments and I would actually talk to people and I'd get messages from people and I'd talk to them. I'd learn about them. Where are you from? What do you do? You know, and uh, I've had on on my Instagram account, I've had uh, NBA players reach out to me and say, hey, I follow your crypto stuff. Thank you so much. I got into this project because of that. And I'm like, what? Like it's got a blue check mark. It's NBA player. That's crazy. And so it like my mind started to open to like, there's a lot of people that really just like me for being me and I don't have to be fake. I don't have to come up with clever keywords. I don't got to do any of that. Like just stay true to myself, be authentic, have integrity um, and follow that path. And that's what's going to keep me consistent as well. Because if you're kind of making a persona, um, which is what a lot of people do, right. Uh, even like when a podcast comes on, right. You, you might be like, just having a chat. I have done a lot of podcasts where you're having a chat and then like the podcast comes on, then everyone's like really way more official. Right. Um, because it's like everyone has this feel like they have to put on a mask or a persona. And so, but it's hard to be consistent with that because that's not who you truly are. Right you're making it up as it goes. And so it's easy to kind of make up this persona that leads you into this trap because you're inconsistent. They might like you know, the persona you were six months ago, but because you're continually building on it, six months later, you might be a completely different person that you don't relate to. So it leads you into a trap. So when you when you understand, okay, I'm just gonna be myself. Some people are gonna hate me. And, and you gotta accept that. Like one third of the people out there always gonna hate you. They might just hate the way you look. They might hate the way your voice sounds. They might hate the way you talk. Um, it doesn't matter. Like they hate you for whatever reason. You're never gonna convince them to like you, uh, and you accept that. And you realize, but there's also people out there that are gonna totally relate to you for some reason. Like they're just like you, um, and you know you're not you're not alone as alone as you think you are. That's when you just start you know accepting the fact that you can just be yourself. And so that's what I did. I was just like I'm just gonna be myself. I'm I'm dumb sometimes. I'm not I'm not awesome sometimes. I'm not cool sometimes. But I am always me, so I can be consistent, and that's what's going to help me grow. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it that it, it's all like this big way of thinking about it, but it's just a more authentic way of thinking about it. But it really does benefit you. It's not just like something that you. It is cliche, but it's also cliche because it said so much because it's true. Mm-hmm.
0: So then, based on what I hear, as long as you keep your audience this way in your mind, this is gonna be the strategy going from a 1,000 subscribers to a 100,000. So there isn't an in-between like 10,000 or 20,000.
1: No, it, it's once you can get traction and views, then you start hitting the algorithm. So it's like the reason you want a 1,000 subscribers is just so you can start getting enough views to really engage the algorithm because the algorithm's not really paying attention to you when you're just starting. It makes sense from YouTube standpoint that like videos that aren't getting any views, We don't really care about those. We care about these videos that we can like get signals from, right? And you got to have people actually watching your videos to get signals from, Um, you know, how long are they watching the video? What's the, you know, how, how the like to dislike ratio, all that kind of stuff. How many comments is it getting? But if you got a sample size of a hundred people, well, you can't really make an accurate determination from that. You need like a larger sample size and the larger sample size you can get, the easier it is for the algorithm to determine which content's good content.
0: What's your take? Uh, we've, we've had this discussion in the past um, with other YouTubers. What's your take on uh, using YouTube ads then to boost your channel um, in growth? We haven't done it on our channel, for instance. But um, but for, if we would start for client channels, I can imagine. Well, I did follow the advice of past YouTubers, but I'd like your take on it. Using YouTube ads to boost the channels to get to the first thousand or ten thousand subscribers.
1: Um, I don't don't know if I really even have an opinion on that just because I've never done it So uh, I mean, it sounds like something that could help you and I have seen people that run ads But they typically have a business and that's why they run ads on their video and it kind of doubles as a way to get people onto their channel So it might work, uh, but I I just never tried it
0: Cool. and um, You just crossed a hundred thousand subscribers. Is anything changed? Did YouTube reach out or something?
1: No. No. Uh, hundred thousand is still pretty tiny. Like in the span of like how big YouTube is. Um, I think if you were to look at my rank among all YouTubers, it'd be like in the like tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands, like low. It's yeah, like I think yeah, there's yeah, so. a lot of big YouTubers. Um, I do you do get a, an award when you hit a hundred thousand subscribers, you get the silver button. Um, and I was able to get verified just because I get so many uh, spammers, but that was really it. Uh, No, no extra support when you, when you first uh, unlock the creator pro or whatever they call it, you, you get access to creator support and you can actually reach out to YouTube, uh, versus before you, you're not able to. So, but that happened at like 2000 subscribers. So,
0: so, um, I guess last question around the social media then, because I, I find it quite unique. So you start TikTok, then YouTube, um, your Instagram. Your spammers have more followers than you do. So can you explain your logic and were you really just hyper focused on this one platform and trying to nail it and then move on to the next one? Uh, Is that what happened? Or how come you have very little followers on one and and a lot on the other? What's your psychology there? Especially when you hear a lot of these gurus talk about be everywhere.
1: So yeah, a lot of people do say be everywhere and you want to like seed your content over to other platforms. And I tried that at first, but the reality was it was just too hard for me as a one man team to focus on all of them. Like I was kind of watering down everything. And so, and I don't enjoy Instagram. Like I like using Instagram for my friends and my family and that's it. But as a creator, that's just not something I enjoy or that I'm like naturally inclined towards. So I actually had my Instagram private for like forever. I didn't include any links to it. It was just private, and I just use it for family. And then eventually, I was like, "Well, I'll just open it up." So I opened it up, and I had like 400 followers, and everyone was like, "Is this for real, Jesse?" Because I had, you know, over 200,000 on TikTok, and at the time, like, you know, over 10,000 on YouTube. And so, uh, yeah, even still, I just never post on those. Like, and even still, I use it for the same purpose—just friends and family. But this at least gives me the ability. For people to follow me on instagram so it is another way another place to store my audience i guess where like if my youtube channel ever went down or my TikTok ever went down i at least had would have something to start with um and that's why people really say it is because like you don't have control over any one platform like i don't i don't control TikTok. what if the algorithm changes and my whole you know i can't reach my audience or same thing with youtube so that's why you want to it is like a safe security thing to like have your audience everywhere uh, but it's something I decided to do like, Hey, you know, I'll do this later on when I have the time and the ability and the focus to do it. But right now I want to focus on one platform and, and that's how I did it. I focused on TikTok, then I focused on YouTube and then now I'm focusing on expanding my audience to other places, but really just because like I got these spammers, like even still the only reason I want people to go and follow me on Instagram is just so the spammers don't have more followers than I do and so that like they don't seem so legit because I just don't want people getting spammed and thinking it was me. So
0: makes sense. Um, so that was your YouTube journey and kind of your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, so what are you doing nowadays? Outside of YouTube, of course.
1: Um, so now my focus. So when I started my journey, it was all side hustles. And then I started shifting towards passive income because the side hustles were unsustainable uh, for me to do by myself. And then I started shifting via passive income towards investing because I finally had money to invest. And so I started focusing a lot on crypto. My, my original idea was like real estate, crypto, and then I, also, I even tried stocks. I didn't do very well at stocks. Um, and then real estate, um, I just never jumped into because crypto was just doing so well for me. And so when something's working really well, you know, I just felt like, well, I'll just invest my time here since it seems to be working. It's working as YouTube content. It's working uh, to grow my money. And it's something that I felt like I had an expertise in above the maybe the average person. Um, I've talked a lot about in my channel that my father-in-law is like really addicted to like getting those like financial newsletters. So like he'll go out and like anytime somebody's like selling something like that, he'll go just buy them. And he usually buys the lifetime, like all access stuff. So, um, and he sends them to us just as a way of like, hey, like you should check this out. Like, I want you to learn and educate. And he's been sending us crypto newsletters since 2016. And so, and I read every one because I was like, well, you know, like this is cool. I want to read this stuff, it's interesting. I really, I originally started reading them. Because I just wanted to understand what what is this Bitcoin like? How do people mine it? Like that makes no sense. And so I was just reading it to figure out that. But then I was like, this is kind of interesting. So I kept reading, and, and you know, every week I'd read these newsletters, and so, and I'd help him with a lot of things, like, hey, how do I set up a wallet? How do I do this? And so I learned all these things. And so when I started my crypto journey, it, yeah, maybe it was the first time I was playing with a lot of money, uh, but it wasn't the first my first experience with crypto. Like I had been familiar with the whole 2017, the whole 2018 crash, all the companies that were around back then, how the, sh- the industry has shifted, all the different trends. And so I felt like I had this unique advantage, at least over most people. And, and I felt like if I'm better than most people at doing it, then I'll probably come out on top was the idea. But I mean, I guess we'll see.
0: So um, you do talk on, in your YouTube videos about this newsletter. Um, what newsletter? I never understand like which newsletters are is he following. He
1: follows a ton, but probably like my favorites that he follows would be um, Palm Beach Confidential, which is like Tika Tawari, uh, if you've ever heard of him. He's like a legend. Oh, you should look him up. He, this guy's really smart. Um, and then also uh, Stansberry uh, newsletter also has a ton of different ones. All the newsletters have like a bunch of like sub newsletters under them, right? So like Eric Wade would be one guy under Stansbury. Tika Tawari, I don't know how he's connected to Palm Beach. Maybe he runs it, maybe not, but he has a couple of uh, newsletters, but there's other guys that also write for them. And so they have like these teams that like all they do is do research. Um, this is not an ad for them, by the way, you're just doing this. Cause you asked me, um, they do all this research and, and different things like that. And then uh, compile the research and send it out to all the subscribers. Tika has been saying, hey, jump into Bitcoin since 2016. And uh, he's been he's been able to call all the big picture moves uh, pretty consistently up into this point because he focuses on the big picture, not the, you know, month to month moves.
0: And so these are paid newsletters or.
1: Yeah, they cost a lot of money, usually like thousands of dollars just to get into these things um it,
0: it's it's an email newsletter and you pay thousands of dollars for
1: well it? you'll go onto the website and you can you read it on the website but they'll send you like texts and email uh updates but yeah i mean like think about it okay maybe you pay ten thousand dollars to get into this thing but a lot of those people that were jumping in especially back in 2016 like they were getting in on ethereum like right when it launched okay so like they've made a ridiculous amount of money and that's kind of like the opportunity cost right you're paying ten thousand dollars to make I mean, a lot of these guys are millionaires now because they were getting in that early. So, I mean, it's been it's been worth it so far.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and so what do these newsletters talk about? You said Bitcoin, Ethereum, but do they talk about new projects as well? And do they recommend projects? Is that where you're getting most of these ideas from?
1: Not most of the ideas that I'm in, like for my channel. But yeah, they talk about a lot of projects. So like, um, they'll do they'll do like monthly recommendations on projects, um, or they'll talk a lot about trends in the space. And that's what I usually use it for is like the trends, like uh, specifically like with Wall Street and adoption and different things like that, because they're a lot of them are from like ex Wall Street traders, and so like they understand that side of things a lot more than I do. And so like, for example, something that like uh, they were talking about recently was everything with uh, Bitcoin. A lot of people understand that the halving is uh, what causes uh, a pretty massive run up in price, right? Um, so every time there's a halving consistently, historically, you've seen this massive run up where, where uh, the price of Bitcoin just skyrockets and a halving is basically when the miners cut their supply, their mining in half. So like maybe every block they were getting 10 Bitcoin. Well, after having, they're only getting five, right? And so because of that, there there's only so much new Bitcoin coming onto the market. So there's less sell pressure. So it just, you know, skyrockets. Well, um, one thing he's been talking about lately is he calls it the final halving or something. Some great marketing term. Um, but basically, a lot of these miners, right, up until this point, and I actually did an interview with a miner on my channel so I can verify this is true. Up until this point, they have, like, hated selling their bitcoin because historically holding their bitcoin is a way better strategy for them like they're big believers in bitcoin they're early adopters they've made millions from it like they're and so they're like full-on bitcoin they don't want to sell it they'd rather have bitcoin than cash right but they have to sell it if they don't they can't pay for the power bills they can't pay for their operations like it's just part of life they have to sell the the bitcoin they mine Uh, because up to this point they have not had access to capital because wall street has kind of shunned bitcoin In the past, it was a scam. It was for uh, your criminals and all this stuff. Well, now we're at a point where these miners are able to get access to capital. Um, And it makes a lot of sense for them. Like they might get a loan where it's like, hey, pay 6%, 10% annually. But Bitcoin historically is like over 200% annually, right? (laughs) So now they have cash to pay for all their operations indefinitely, but they don't have to sell their Bitcoin. And so they're not. And it's like over the past six months, the amount of new Bitcoin coming into the market has been reduced by like over 70%. And so he's calling it the final halving. And he's saying like the market has not priced this in yet because, you know, no, a lot of people aren't paying attention to this. But him being like from that background, because most people are just jumping to Bitcoin to make a bunch of money. They're not thinking through all these things, right? Um, he's saying the price is going to just really explode from here as soon as the market catches on to this because it's getting more and more scarce. But also the demand is going up you know rapidly where we're we are seeing this mass adoption of it. So uh, it's different stuff like that where I'm just like this is a gold mine of information.
0: But so bitcoin is just going to go really high then from what I understand.
1: I mean that's yeah according to him and it, it makes sense. You know there's less new bitcoin being sent on the market and there's more adoption that should cause the price to skyrocket. Um, and the market follows Bitcoin. So historically, whatever Bitcoin does, the market does. If Bitcoin crashes, the whole market crashes. If Bitcoin skyrockets, the whole market might lag behind, which is what we saw at the beginning of this bull run, where like Bitcoin skyrocketed and the alts did nothing. But eventually, they start catching up, right? And then they skyrocket because people think, I missed out on Bitcoin. Well, I'm going to jump into Ethereum. Oh, I missed out on Ethereum. I'm going to jump into these other projects. And they go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper.
0: I have to say what I loved uh, about your channel, and and it's like in our office, uh, definitely a thing now, um, is you introduced me to crypto. As I think many people see, like uh, many crypto people see crypto. I saw crypto as an alternative to stocks with better liquidity. So when I invest in stocks, it takes a couple of days for my money to arrive. Then I have to buy the stock. Then when I uh, sell my stock, it takes a couple of days before I have it back on my account. Uh, And with crypto, it's like I buy and I sell and I have it. Uh, So I felt it was like stocks. Uh, But you introduced me to a whole new world of, you know, DeFi 2.0. I started understanding what NFTs were through you. I had no I tried understanding, couldn't understand. But thanks to your channel, I started understanding. Uh, and so I feel like your channel represents that now for me, at least. Um, I guess my question is, how did you get into the other stuff? How did you start finding just not only altcoins, but other projects, finding out about NFTs and stuff like that? And can you kind of start shaping the story from you know the beginning? Because I'm assuming once you start having money, you had your one hundred forty thousand um, dollars what were the first steps in crypto that you started taking
1: so okay uh, knowledge compounds right so i'm reading these newsletters all that knowledge is compounding right i'm also reading all these books and some of them are marketing some are maybe on investing some are maybe on success mindset entrepreneurship business and so all this knowledge is like just sitting there it's it's compounding and like it's helping and assisting each other so when i came into crypto I felt like I had this weird, like, ability to see things that I hadn't been able to see before. Uh, I might look at a project and say, that's really good marketing. Um, and I might look at it and say, look at, they're using scarcity to get, you know, more adoption. And so I started i started seeing projects and being like, I don't know, it's kind of this feeling like this is going to be a good project because it has really good marketing. And because the way the, the fundamentals are, it's like becoming more and more scarce. Uh, And it's going to drive more people to jump in, which as as the price starts skyrocketing, more and more people are going to want to jump in and all that. And so uh, I started out getting in like I got Bitcoin, I got Ethereum, pretty much how everyone starts out. Right. And then a lot of the other kind of like big projects I would start like going into and it was all about like buying or buying crypto and just holding. Right. And then I discovered like, oh, my gosh, if I stick crypto into like some of these new platforms like Celsius, Nexo, BlockFi, I could actually get interest on it. And uh, during the first bull run, there was like a couple cryptos that could do that. You had like Neo, which paid out interest and everyone was like, oh, we gotta get Neo cause it pays out interest. Uh, but you know, during the first bull run, like almost no cryptos did that. Like you couldn't get interest on your crypto. That was a weird concept. But the second time around, like that was a normal thing. So I started doing things like that, and then um, another big trend that started happening was all the networks. You know, um, during the first bull run, there was some networks. Uh, there was like EOS, um, Cardano, different things like that. But during the second one, networks just keep popping up every other day. It's like you know, we got Terra Luna, we got, um, you know, all these different networks just constantly popping up. So I started investing in network, uh, Polkadot, Cosmos, uh, different things like that. So I actually got into like Terra Luna. Well, that was one of the first ones I jumped into. And I think it was like 28 million market cap. And today it's like 28 billion or something. Like I made a lot of money on that.
0: But wait, when you invest in like a Terra Luna or something, you say I invest in a network for a noob like me. What does that mean? You invest in a network. you just buy a coin like Bitcoin?
1: Yeah. So Terra... Terra Luna, the original idea was like a stable coin, right? It's made by these guys in South Korea. They're really, really smart. They understand economics really, really well. And the idea is to keep the stable coin stable. Their stable coin is UST. Um, They would burn Luna to prop up the back. So anytime a USD falls below a dollar, they burn Luna to prop up the price. And then they do something else whenever it goes above or whatever. And so Luna—that's what Luna originally was for. So I got into Luna. I, I bought some. Um, I only stuck like a couple thousand dollars into Luna. I, I don't remember exactly how much it was. Um, but it was—it was a buy and hold. You buy it, you hold it. And then at, later, I learned I could be staking it for interest, and I did that as well. How much?
0: How much interest?
1: Um, I think the interest is like ten percent, eight percent, or like twelve percent. It's—it's not like a crazy amount. Well, that is a crazy amount. That's a good amount. Like thinking traditionally um, and you stake it to secure the network, just like uh, proof of stake, right? They use proof of stake to validate. Um, and, then, and then they have this whole Terra Luna network, which is like Ethereum, right? So it's uh, basically everyone started competing, saying Ethereum's too slow, it's too um, expensive. So they started creating all these other networks. And so they all have kind of different, uh, maybe they're a little bit faster, maybe they're a little bit cheaper. Maybe some are like in a different coding language or some are, um, I don't know, they all have different use cases. I like the ones that are really specific use cases because I believe in the future, what we're going to see is not just one Ethereum. Everything's built on top of, but we're going to see like multiple different blockchains that all serve uh, different specific niche use cases where we're going to have more like an Internet of blockchains, which is like Polkadot and Cosmos. They're trying to build something like that. But yeah, Luna, you were investing in the network saying, hey, it's going to be the next Ethereum was kind of like the mindset. Right. Um, And you're just buying it, staking it, and then waiting to see, you know, if it increases adoption, which that one really did. Um, And it still is like that. That one's one that even like when the market downturns, it seems to perform really well and consistently. And I don't know if that's because when the market downturns, everyone throws their money into UST, which caused them to burn Luna, which caused the price to go up. Um, that's kind of my, my thought, but yeah, that, that one's been a, a pretty good one for me.
0: And, and so can I ask out of interest because i I find you quite transparent around those things. So when did you invest in it and how did your investment turn out then if you want to share that? You don't have to, of course.
1: Uh, I, I will. Um, that was like one of the first ones I invested in. I don't remember the exact date I got in, um, but I do remember the market cap was in the millions. I, I think, like I said, it was around 28 million. Um, and I don't remember the exact amount I threw in because I wasn't like as consistent, I wasn't doing a channel where I was doing these experiments and tracking. Um, I'm sure if I looked at my app though, I could find that. Uh, but today I have a little over a hundred thousand uh, dollars, worth of Terra Luna. And so from a, from a couple thousand dollar investment.
0: How, um, I guess I'm, I'm fascinated by your philosophy cause you're doing it quite longer than me, of course, cause I got into it because of you, um, when you make, you know, you 100x your investment or whatever, at which point do you pull it out? Because um, as my girlfriend says, it's not money, it's virtual money. So so what's your philosophy and when do you pull it out? How do you make sure it becomes actual money?
1: So, yes, that is the hard part, right? Because I'm definitely the kind of guy that's like, I'm going to be the last man standing. I'm going (laughs) to, you know, like I'll hold it the whole way down. So. What I've learned to do, and I, I did also learn this from one of those newsletters, uh, I think it was Eric Wade who does this, where it's like every time it doubles or triples, he'll take a third off the table. Um, now, my mistake is what I'll do is I'll take that third off and I'll reinvest into other crypto projects. Um, but I still think like that's that's better than not doing that because you'll see projects like skyrocket and then collapse, right? So you definitely want to be doing that Where uh, or every time it doubles, just take your initial investment out. That's a smart way to do it. Um, and then uh, you seed those o- over to other investments, or maybe you do like you take your initial investment out, take half of it, seed it to other investments and take the other half and store it in like a stable coin or something. Um, but yeah, you want to kind of have an exit strategy like that um, where you have an idea of how you're going to perform before it happens. Cause otherwise your emotions get kind of hold of you and you're like, Oh, it's, it's going to a million dollars. I'm to be a million. I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm going to like, I'm going to start the next Tesla or something, you know? Um, so if you don't have an exit strategy ahead, that won't happen. So, um, especially this market dip, I've been really, really thinking through how I want to do that. And, um, I think for me, it's going to be that where I take half of my initial investment, um, off the table. And then after that doubles again, take the other half off as well. And so I at least get my initial investment out of the market. Um, but as far as when to take like full profits, That's really, really hard to say. I I think if the market went parabolic where it just started going straight up and um, you start hearing more of these stories where like people are like, I maxed out my credit card, I sold my house and everything I own to invest. I, um, you know, I put a second mortgage on my house, those kind of things. um, That's what starts scaring me where I'm like, okay, everyone's getting like a little too euphoric and it's when it's going straight up and everyone's screaming like it's going to keep going up. That's when you should be like terrified. Because that's when you know it's gonna crash. Because when people are that irresponsible, they're over leveraging, they have second mortgaged their house and all that money's in crypto. And there's even a slight dip or a slightly bad news story, what are they gonna do? They're gonna they're gonna get scared and terrified. They're pulling everything out and which causes this massive dip, which causes everyone else to liquidate too, which is to cause which causes it to go into the next crypto winner. And, and when that happens, that's when like you'll see some of these projects that are like some of the biggest projects out today, they won't even exist five years from now if you go into crypto winner because they'll lose all their value. And that happened like, I remember one called SALT, huge project in 2017 where it was like at $20 a token. And today it's like less than a cent. So um, yeah, L- look out for when everyone's telling you it's gonna go keep going up and, and everyone's getting crazy. That That's when you wanna liquidate and say, hey, it might be time to take my money out of the market. I might be early, but it seems a little bit dangerous.
0: Um, another thing I wanted to discuss, um, and I love the fact that you have so many different passions uh, because then there's a lot to discuss. But considering we're on crypto, I want to continue with the crypto part uh, is so what are some of the, you know, relatively safer projects going on right now um, where you can get these interests? currently so not like in the past like you described Um, because one of the things that I find is when you buy a Bitcoin and there's a market downturn and it's going down right now you can't do much with this Bitcoin but uh, with these new types of projects in the DeFi 2.0 space you have like these massive interests uh, giving away and uh, I think the main concern is always like how sustainable is this is this going to be this project like you just mentioned that goes to like a million and then goes to one cent. Um, So what are some of these relatively safer projects, obviously relative being the key word there um, that you're currently in and you're recommending and why?
1: Well, well, first off, I'd say I don't usually recommend projects. My whole channel is more me sharing my journey and saying, hey, it's more like an idea place where people could stumble across ideas. But I'm really careful never to recommend because um, I don't know people's situations. I don't know how much money is a lot of money to them. You know, I might make a video today and it might be a great time to get in. But what if, you know, two months down the line, they're watching my video and it's a horrible time to get in, right? So I'm really, really careful that it's just sharing ideas, not recommending. But I would say if you're saying like super safe, um, relatively, right? For crypto, uh, something would be Anchor Protocol. Um, it's not crazy, right? You're going to have a stable coin, UST so you're not worried about the price fluctuating going rapidly up and down stable coins stay pegged to a dollar so they're always around a dollar they might go up a cent or down a cent but they're always like a dollar right um anchor protocol gives you 20 uh annually so 20 percent is huge like if you could do that in the stock market consistently that's a lot of money so when i have like extra cash i'll throw it into anchor and i just get like I had like $16,000 in there uh, not that long ago, where I was making a couple hundred bucks a month passively just from my money sitting in there. It's, I'm not worried about going up and down because it's, it's you know, in stablecoin, and they make all their money through like loans. Um, they might do some yield farming, but it's all like they're paying out the profits, and if they have to adjust it, then and they're making way more than 20%. Like they're using your money to make a ton of money, and then you're getting 20%. So it's it's all really like it's pretty safe for them. And if, you know, anyone from traditional finance, like that seems crazy 20%, but in crypto, it's just such a new asset, um, that, you know, the rates are just really high. Like you're, you're just an early adopter and there's a lot of money to be made. Some of these other projects are doing like 8,000%. Uh, there, I saw one the other day was like a billion percent, something crazy. Those are unsustainable. Um, those are way unsustainable, um, but yeah, so that's a relatively safe one. I, there's a new one I just learned about called White Whale. It's also on Terra. Um, and what they're trying to do is you, uh, th- they're using money as like arbitrage on Luna. So like uh, when when Luna does its burn cycles where it'll burn money and stuff like that, well, they're trying to arbitrage that where when, when Luna goes slightly above, they'll do some of the burning. Um, typically, you gotta have a lot of money to get in on these strategies and, and they're really complex. Um, but they should, in theory, work both ways. If the market's going up, you should make a lot of money. Market goes down, you should make a lot of money because it's all based on volatility. The more volatility there is, the more money you're making. Um, and when they, the market's just stable, they throw all the money into Anchor, and so it's just that 20%. So it's like a, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so that's another cool one that I kind of recently stumbled across.
0: Are you gonna be making a video about that one?
1: Uh, Eventually, yeah, Um, if it turns out well and it it ends up being a decent project, then yes, I will. They they haven't even launched the app for it though yet. So it's like um, they have a website up. You can buy their token, but the actual app that does all this hasn't launched. That's going to launch in 2022. So yeah, it just depends on after I test it out or after I learn more.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. I, I don't want to go into all the big volatile projects then. Uh, I think the safe one is, is definitely for a traditional audience a bit better. Um, there are a ton of, you know, people can follow your journey on the YouTube channel. Um, I guess my question then is, I think it's the main question that a lot of these people have when I read the comments. Um, how do you find these projects? Because you just said they're not on the newsletter.
1: Yeah. So the way that I typically find projects is I well traditionally what I would do is I just go through the comments of my videos. Like before that, I I was going to more mainstay projects where I'd look through like I just look through lists and I would go to the site. I do the research and it took a long time. But now that I have a YouTube audience, I'll look through my my own comments where anyone could go look. um, And what are people recommending? And because I'm responding to a lot of my comments, I'll see these a lot. Right. And so I'll see the ones that are kind of trending. Um, and lately I've actually started a thread on my channel, uh, under the community tab where I'll post, Hey, what are projects are you're looking at this week? And so people post the ones they're most excited about. And so I'll just go and I'll, I'll research everyone. And, um, typically I can look from at the website and be like, um, I like this. I don't like this. And then I'll kind of make a list of the ones I like, and then I'll do a deeper dive, uh, where I'll go into the white paper. I'll go into the documentation and I'll, I'll take the time to actually try to understand how it works. Um, it, especially if I think, Hey, I, I'm looking for a project with good fundamentals. I want to know how it works so I can have confidence in it or not. Um, something I've talked about Olympus Dow on my channel, something like Olympus Dow. I was really sketched out. The first time I saw it, I was like, this isn't sustainable. But then I went into the documentation and I, I read how they, how they did it. And I was like, Whoa, this is like, these guys might be mad geniuses. And so, um, and, and I knew it wasn't just something they'd thrown together. But something they've really put a lot of thought and a lot of uh, uh, they, they had a background in economics enough to understand what they were doing. So.
0: But so if you have a project like Olympus DAO, um, that would be kind of like the original one that has that system. And then there's like all these Wonderland and all these other projects that are pretty much like I don't want to make, you know, put that out there, but it's almost like a copy. The website is the same, like it all looks the same. Um, why would you then not go for the original one? Is that not more stable, less risk? Um, or like, what's your opinion on that? Because I look at that and I think, well, I guess it's more risky, but higher percentage. But then if I want to play it safe, I want to go for Olympus DAO, I guess, I don't know.
1: So so for anyone who doesn't understand, Olympus DAO is a project uh, in crypto that is a really unique, they call it DeFi 2.0. One of the biggest issues in DeFi is something has to do with liquidity it has to do with yield farming and basically there's this thing called impermanent loss which is really like everyone that yield firms hates it it causes you to lose a lot of money anytime crypto is volatile and crypto is volatile a lot and so um what happened is olympus dao came in and they came up with this idea and they said hey what if you owned your own liquidity um, which is revolutionary for crypto like up until this point users owned the project's liquidity And, uh, the project incentivized that by paying out these users. And so Olympus is like, what if we figure out a way to buy up our own liquidity? And so they created this new method using bonds, um, and using staking where they're able to buy up with their own treasury, their own liquidity. And because of it, they're able to pay out these crazy high APYs and the APYs are purely based on the money that they have in their treasury. And that treasury money is not just the token that they made. It's uh, stable coins. It might be Bitcoin. It might be Ethereum. Like they've incentivized people to give them other projects and give them uh, all these other tokens uh, using bonding. And um, anyway, so so that's kind of like the basic idea. It's it's a pretty revolutionary experiment they're doing. And so uh, to answer your question, I do think in the case of Olympus, that Olympus is the most... uh, the safest version of those projects a lot of those forks are just they copied the code and they they don't have the team they don't have the insight and they don't know what they're doing they just saw it was popular and they wanted to make a lot of money um where olympus's team they built it from scratch they understood the mission and you can even see like a lot of those projects have, have floundered like they, they're doing the basic treasury bonding um mechanism which the idea is uh, for everyone listening, say you have um, 10 of a token, right? For them, it's called Ohm. Their token's called OM. And say say uh, that token, sorry, is $10, right? Well, they offer to sell it to you instead of 10, they'll say, hey, on the market it's 10, we'll sell it to you for $5 uh, via a bond. And a, the bond is like a timed thing where you buy it and you get paid out over time. Um, and in exchange, you're giving them uh, a stable coin. So they get to give you their token in exchange for a stable coin. And every one of their tokens is backed by those stable coins. Um, It's kind of how it works. And so in the case of them, they figured out this system that works really, really well with these bonds. And now what they're doing is they're going to all these other DeFi protocols and they're saying, Hey, like we know it sucks not owning your liquidity. We're going to do bonds as a service where we're going to let you implement via our platform bonds. That's gonna allow you to own your own liquidity, stop having to pay out these incentives, and start. And they get rewarded also by these um, sites like Uniswap, where they get to actually get paid out the yield that yield farmers would typically make. Um, and so all these all these protocols are all over it. They're super excited. They're like, "Whoa, this is crazy! This is revolutionary!" So they're they're um, they're signing up people like really quickly, right, for this. And what Olympus gets out of it, uh, it it's a great deal for these DeFi protocols because they get um, they. It costs them less and and it's a new revenue source. And it's a great deal for Olympus because Olympus takes a portion of the transactions paid into its own treasury. And it's not just, um, they're getting paid in these protocols, tokens. So it's collecting tokens from all these different projects into its own treasury. So as those tokens gain value and those other projects succeed, Olympus's treasury gets more and more valuable. And I don't remember what it's at right now. It might be like $500 million that Olympus has accumulated in their treasury. And so the goal is to extend this service out, keep building up their treasury, and um, all the money in the treasury gets paid out to stakers via their uh, when, when you stake. And so it's this whole system. Um, it, it's really, really fascinating. Really fascinating. I don't know if it'll work long term. Um, I hope it does, um, but it, it does make sense and it is really interesting.
0: I, I guess that's kind of my question. And I'm not asking for a recommendation here, just your opinion. If somebody just wants to park their money, they're used to just parking their money in crypto um, and, and they want to do like obviously a little bit more high risk than Bitcoin. I feel like from all the projects I research, uh, that would be the one I'd kind of park my money in for a year or something. But am I seeing it wrong or is, is this a short term? It's
1: thing? high risk. But yeah, that's that's a great place, I think, to park your money long term. Some of these other forks would be a maybe a short term play. But Olympus um, is definitely one that, like for me, I'd have confidence in long term. Um, The APY is going to they're actually voting on a measure right now to lower their APY. It's currently at eight thousand, which is crazy. Right. But they're voting to lower it to um, around one thousand, which everyone's complaining about. Like, why is it so low? But I'm like, it's a thousand percent APY, but that'll reduce uh, uh, selling pressure because there'll be less inflation. So.
0: Makes sense. one last project I wanted to ask about um, well, actually two more uh, very quickly. Your opinion on uh, Wonderland, which is a fork of Olympus, which offers like 80,000 APY. And then I'll, and then if you have some bit more time, your opinion on strong because you've been in it for multiple months now and I actually got into it as well. And
1: it's been interesting. So OK, so Wonderland. I don't know what will happen with that project that for starting out, that was a short term play for me Whereas, was like, Hey, um, it's, a, it's a fork of Olympus. They have a lot of ideas. They have a lot of things they're talking about and they have a pretty, uh, popular team that's behind them where they've developed like uh, magic internet money or abracadabra money or whatever. It's like, they make a stable coin. Abracadabra, yeah. yeah. They make a stable coin. Um, that team that makes that, they have another one, I think popsicle finance and wonderland. They're all the same team. So they have this big support structure um, and they have a a pretty big following. And so from that alone, they're gonna stay afloat for a while, but I don't know. They haven't made any like bold moves that are like to make them unique and they are just a copy of another project. So I don't know. Um, I think short-term it's probably okay, but long-term who knows. And then as far as strong, strong is like a very, very controversial project in this space. A lot of people call it a Ponzi scheme um, I don't think it's a Ponzi scheme, but it's it's very con that's like a super high risk one. Like I, I think that wouldn't be for somebody just getting into crypto. And I think that's one where you kind of have to do your own research and make your own call on it after looking through all the documentation. I obviously really hope that project turns out well um long term. I they are all a public team. So a lot of these projects have anonymous teams and this one's public. So if they're a Ponzi scheme, they're in big trouble. And that's the one thing that holds me back from saying, hey, like they, they have um, legal advisement, they have, you know, um, economic advisement, like they're not dumb. They're not going to create a Ponzi scheme and then make their identities public. Right. Um, but it is one that I would, if anyone wants to get into that one, I would say, do your own research and do a ton of it and, and go listen to some of the people that say it's a Ponzi scheme. Hear what they have to say. They do make some interesting points and some interesting arguments I look at that one as more of a startup where it's like they cuz they don't currently have a product. They don't currently have the product and that's a big thing is like you're investing in something where they don't have they had an idea, it's not working and they're having to pivot. Will it last long term? I think so, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah, uh yeah, strong reminds me strong block reminds me very much of angel investing where the product didn't work, and they're pivoting. But it's usually why angel investors invest in teams and not product. Exactly, and that's what it reminds me
1: of as they're pivoting. And and I've read that too. I've read about there's like the there's angel investors that'll invest in a team that doesn't even have an idea. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've I've been part of those.
1: <laughs> so um, that's where I'm like I, I'm seeing a, I feel like I'm seeing a bigger picture. I'm saying hey, they're a smart team. They're gonna figure it out but you know maybe they don't maybe it all collapses i don't you nothing is sure thing in crypto crypto is all very it can all be very risky bitcoin and ethereum at this point are a little bit less risky but like once you get deep down the rabbit hole like this like you just got to know if you're investing in something be willing to lose your money and definitely be willing to deal with some, like 50 percent drops overnight are a normal thing sometimes so you, you have to be like ready for that but there's also a lot of reward like i mentioned earlier i invested in a project with a couple thousand dollars and i now have in that project over a hundred thousand dollars so you you know risk reward um if you're better you might miss on some projects but other ones could pay off far above that
0: i i think um that's that's my takeaway and i definitely want to have that on the recording which is we're mentioning these projects but i think the strategy that i adopted is instead of putting like, you know, 10 K in one project, I think it's better to divide it up into one K and then have 10 projects. And that's kind of what I'm
1: also getting from, from your channels. that correct. Yeah. Because I've had projects that I'm like fundamentally it's good marketing. It's good. This is a great pro- Like I believe in this project and I've thrown money in and it just tanked and it's like, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It, it seemed like a good project, but nobody else thought that. So it's like, you just never know. Like you can't be, it's all about risk management. Like if you're investing in anything, it's about risk management. And so, yeah, crypto high risk. You got to know how to manage that risk and you can't just jump into something because you're like, I want to make a ton of money. So I'm going to jump into this thing, right? That's what a lot of people are doing and they're losing a lot of money because of it. You have to, if you're willing to work a little bit harder than everyone else, do a little bit more research, you're going to, you're going to be a little bit more on point than everyone else. And then it's all about managing your risk and saying, Hey, I'm willing to put a little bit of money into this. Let's see what happens and a little bit of money into that. Let's see what happens. Oh, I doubled my profit. Let me sell off my initial capital and I'll reinvest that elsewhere because yeah, you might have doubled it for a second. But what happens tomorrow if it it goes to a new low? You know, so yeah, um,
0: maybe it was me. But uh, when I saw your video on strong, I found you to be quite excited about that project and I think my feeling around strong was they're one of the very I think maybe two or three teams from the projects that I see that are actually public, which makes me want to trust them a bit more. But so, you know, you were quite excited in that one. Are there any other projects
1: that you're more excited about than that one? There are a lot of other projects I'm more excited about. The reason I was so excited about strong has to do with the fact that it's more of a psychological shift, but you, you invest your when you buy a strong node. So you're buying these nodes, right? When you buy it, you don't, you cannot sell it. You cannot get your money back. And so you're only getting these rewards paid out, right? And so the rewards kind of become this passive income in your mind. And so for me, it's like this source of consistent passive passive income coming out. And it's just different in my mind. I don't know why. When you go buy a project and you invest in it, you don't want to sell it because you're like, well, it's going to go higher. But when you're getting paid out passive income that you kind of have to sell, it's just, it was different. So it, it was a different way to view a project. And I liked that. Um, but yeah, I know there's a lot of projects I'm more excited about. Like I mentioned Cosmos that might not make a ton of money at this point. It's a pretty big project. Um, but I'm excited about what they're building and same thing with Terra Luna. Like they're just a smart team and I'm excited what they're building. I'm excited to see a lot of these networks, uh, merge together in the internet of blockchain. Um, Cosmos has something called IBC, which is called inner blockchain communication that allows like Terra Luna and um, like something like secret network, they can cross chain, build these hybrid products. And so I think out of this, we're gonna see a lot of innovation and a lot of new trends emerge in the space. And that gets me excited because the thing is like, uh, I've talked about before, people miss out on opportunities all the time, but there's always a new opportunity in the future. So I'm looking at the future and saying, where are the new opportunities gonna be? And I'm really watching like how these different blockchains are like making these hybrid products and how that might turn out. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great projects that I like. I really like Olympus. I really want to see them succeed. Um, But just because I like it doesn't mean it, it's uh, gonna succeed.
0: I, I guess that's my question because we're kind of hitting it. But how do you see the future? Where's the, you know, I feel like we've had the traditional crypto where you buy it like stock. We've had this NFT craze, DeFi 2.0 is coming up. What's kind of like the future of where you
1: think it's gonna go, your opinion. That's so hard to tell because it's like the space changes so rapidly that I don't know that anyone fully knows that. Like it big picture, like really big picture. I see an internet of blockchains, I see a lot of decentralization and a lot of crowdsourcing. The 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 main power behind Bitcoin not Bitcoin but crypto in general is decentralization and crowdsourcing. And I think that's where a lot of people miss it, is that it's kind of like Uber or Airbnb or all these things. Like once you start realizing there's this potential, once you stop making things centralized and you start crowdsourcing them, there's all this potential that hasn't been utilized you know, around the world. And crypto is doing that with a lot of these things. Olympus, there is no company that runs it. There's no person that runs it. It's run by a community it's got community governance and it's crowdsourcing um a lot of it's uh, a lot of these projects raise money outside of vcs outside of um traditional methods just from uh they're crowdsourcing it right um so there's uh uh storage storage is a blockchain project they're really interesting what they do is uh you know you have all these cloud servers like amazon cloud right well for amazon to start amazon cloud it costs them I don't even know, probably billions of dollars. Right? Like that's really difficult for one person to do, but a small team launched storage and they have a massive cloud that they've built because they're using crowdsourcing where I can use basically my hard drive space that I've extra, I can mine their token by allowing them to store uh, stuff on my hard drive. So they've created this big worldwide decentralized uh, cloud uh, using just a few people and so it's it's kind of like all these thought processes when you um, have smart contracts and these things that can execute on their own that don't require central authorities what are you able to build and so we're just seeing the start of that oh another one's helium have you have you heard of helium
0: yeah but I, I started looking into it and i just didn't understand do you have to be in a city to work with that or
1: so helium has this crazy vision for like the internet of things um or something called spatial reality where they have launched these miners. And so anyone can set up a miner and you start earning HNT tokens, helium tokens, and it's a low level internet of things network. So like when you go into a city and you ride those scooters around, like, have you ever thought of like, how do they keep track of these scooters and where they're at and all that? Well, it has to do with these low level networks, right? That are able to, they're able to sit on, right? Well, they just launched a a secondary network on the helium network, which is a 5G network uh, run completely by people. So like Verizon didn't start this, you know, um, AT&T didn't start this. People have mine. They're buying these 5G miners that they're running at their house or at their business or whatever that they're all connecting together to create this massive 5G network. And they always start in cities like New York or whatever, where, you know, they have a big population density and they're able to launch it. But it's quickly expanding where it's this company that's not owned by one person, but by the people. And so, again, crowdsourced. Ideas that are just taking off because, you know, you have all these things like smart contracts and um, these decentralized blockchains
0: But for that you have to be in the city the miner I heard was getting quite expensive sometimes doesn't get delivered as well so it becomes quite a uh, Intense to actually start that project
1: uh, As far as like getting the miners right now, it is really difficult because of the chip shortage um, I ordered mine in July and still haven't shown oh up God. still haven't shown up um but, but, um, that has to do with a lot of the other things that are going on in the world right now where it's, it is difficult to get a lot of things. Um, those are especially back backorder because people, the demand has just gotten so high. But yeah, even like, you know, even in rural rural areas, people are setting up these networks and, um, and building it out. And the vision is like, eventually it'll be set up everywhere. And, you know, they've only been around for a couple of years. But, you know, give them a decade, you know, is there going to be this massive network that, you know, covers the whole U.S., the whole the whole world. Right. Yeah. Like, who knows?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Um, We're kind of nearing the end, so I don't want to go deeper into the crypto thing. I want to go, I guess, to a question that isn't being covered on your YouTube channel right now, because nowadays you're talking a lot about crypto, but, you know, Have you built up your passive income to a point where this is it? You're only doing crypto or is there anything left from the entrepreneurial journey? Are you still working at something? Uh, Do you have a job outside of YouTube, I guess?
1: I don't have a job outside of YouTube. Um, Some of the things that I was doing for passive income before I've canceled those Um, specifically if I had like a difficult client that like was taking a lot of focus. Um, One of the things I struggle with is focus where I like to try like to do 20 different things at a time. And so it's like it really helped me at the beginning of my journey where I was like, I'm gonna do everything. But like it became a lot later on. And so I yeah, I have to kind of shut down some projects and then like, well, I need to focus on what I'm doing. I wanted to focus on YouTube. So YouTube is like my main thing. It's like my full time thing, right? And then investing is my main thing. But I have a vision to build on top of it. And what I really want to build, it has to do with community. I think community is like specifically in-person community is so valuable today. And I think people underestimate just how much people need that. Um, you know, like they think digital can, you know, uh, bridge that gap, but it can't, um, people are craving it more and more, uh, every day. And I, I even did like a post on my channel where I'm like, Hey, I want to build this in-person community. And like, I got some crazy, Responses where people are like, Oh my gosh, like I've been dreaming of this, and like just out of nowhere, I like I slightly mentioned it, and people were like all over the place because you know, people want to connect in person. Um, they want not long before COVID, right? Long before COVID, we've been in our little silos where we're stuck in our houses. Like, I envision like back in high school or maybe in college, right? Where you had like friends around, every day was an adventure. Like, I want to get back to that. So We're trying to build this community uh, launching from the channel. Um, We're going to spin off some other channels, uh, a second channel and um, really want to build like an in-person facility where people can hold, creators can hold conferences, um, different uh, maybe musicians, entrepreneurs, a place where people can learn and grow that's oriented towards bettering yourself. Um, This kind of a year round thing where, you know, I call it like a base pad for launching all of our future adventures. And that has more to do with like personal things. Like I I just want more adventure in my life. I want, I don't want to be the guy that gives up on life and says, hey, you know, like I'm just gonna keep, keep going forward, watch TV at night, every night, wake up, do work. And I I don't want that for my life. Like I I want to get back to like the fun and adventure you have when you're only surrounded by tons of communities. So that's, that's my mission forward.
0: I like that. I'm going to one more loaded question then uh, which is if somebody is looking at this they've just heard your journey you know your first year was I mean let's just be honest it's phenomenal somebody who's the first year in business technically because you restarted from zero making 150k that's I've seen a lot of startups pass through uh, our event it it is exceptional Um, so somebody wants to just start their journey right now. You've explained how to become a YouTuber, but how do they make money? I feel like if I would ask anybody right now in my circle, it would probably be you. So what would the step be the first thousand dollars then the first ten thousand and the first (laughs) hundred?
1: Okay, so there's a reality and a lot of people do not like the answer that I give to this, but there's a reality that the greatest place you could invest in is going to be yourself. And I invested first in myself. And although over those months, I was not getting any progress when I first started, I was pouring into myself. I was learning. I was growing. I was surrounding myself with the right people. And if you do not have that, it does not matter how much you try. You're probably going to fail. Even if you made $10 million, if you, if you don't have financial literacy, you're probably going to lose that $10 million, right? So first, you have to invest in yourself and give yourself the ability to accomplish that. There's a show called Undercover Billionaire. Um, uh, yeah, it's a great show where they take a uh, Glenn Sterns. He's a billionaire. They take him, they drop him off in a part of the country he's never been. He can't use his name. They give him in a hundred bucks and a beat-up old truck, and he has the mission of building a million-dollar business in ninety days. I got recommended this show a ton after I started my journey because it, it was very similar. And um, all this guy had was what was in between his head. All he had was his knowledge, right? And I won't ruin the show for anyone, but he made it insanely far way farther than what I, what I was able to do in, in a year, he made 90 days. And he, he did that because of what, he, because he'd invested in himself and there are just reality, there's people out there, you you drop them off in the middle of nowhere, give them a hundred bucks and beat up old truck. And they will have a successful thriving business in a year. They will be a millionaire maybe back in a year or two years because they've invested in themselves and they are their greatest asset. And so, um, that's where I would start. And there's a lot of nuances to all this. It seems easy on the service where you're like, oh, you did that. It must have been easy. Like, it wasn't easy. There was so many different choices that I had to make right along the way that if I didn't make those choices right, I wouldn't have made it as far as I made it. And I honestly believe if I'd have made choices even better, I, I probably could have hit my million dollar goal. Like, it's not impossible. Like, that was something that was possible. Um, I just didn't have the skill set to, uh, to to reach that. But um Yeah. Invest in yourself first because your situation is going to be different. Like Amazon might make sense for you, but it might not make sense for somebody else. Investing might make sense for me, but it might not make sense for you. Uh, You know what I mean? Like everyone's got a different situation. Everyone's got a different skill set. Everyone's got a different personality and different, like you might be really charismatic or you might be really quiet. Uh, But if you invest in yourself, you're going to be adaptable to whatever your environment is uh, to be able to succeed regardless of all those different circumstances.
0: I'm still going to double ask like and if we go very practical, <laughs> what, what would you advise after that? So they've invested in books and stuff like that, you know, Uber Eats uh, delivery or what, what would you recommend?
1: <laughs> if I started over and because I was in a small city when I started this. And so um, we didn't have Uber or Uber Eats so I, or like any of that stuff. So I couldn't do that stuff. But if you're in a bigger city and you could do those things, yeah, those are a great way to get started. My brother just he had a business. He sold it. Um, he, he cleaned pools, he sold it. And what he does is he does um not Uber Eats, but the other one where you can deliver food. Deliveroo. Uh no. I, I don't remember the name of it, but whatever it doesn't like, matter. One of the apps where he goes a uh, DoorDash. He does DoorDash. And so um he goes around, and does DoorDash at night. That's how he's kind of paying his bills while he's trying to build his business. So he kind of has that going for him. It might be for you getting a job. Like my situation was unique, but maybe you need to start out with a part-time job to, to bring an in income, right? Um, maybe, maybe that makes the most sense for you. Uh, but then you're constantly building and learning and you got to just think it's, it's a slow process, but you're compounding as you go. And one of my favorite books is um, uh, the compound effect. And it's all about how you make these 1% choices. that can change your life radically. And so pra- practically, Um, figure out a way to pay the bills so you don't have to worry about that. Step one. Okay. Figure out a way to get enough money. So you're not worrying about money. Then think big. Okay. If you get caught up in your job or you get caught up in the day to day, or you start taking on all this debt, um, you're going to get stuck. So you want, you want to limit your debt, limit your expenses, focus on getting enough money in and then think huge. Think way bigger than you ever thought was possible and say, Hey, like, uh, what could I, re- what would I do if I had a billion dollars and I could do anything in my like with my life? What would I actually do? And a lot of people don't even ask themselves, but what would you do? What would you do? And then once you answer that question, well, can you do that right now? Can you start that right now? Maybe you can then go for it. Cause it's, it's not that much harder to build a million dollar business than it is to build a $30,000 a year business, right? It's not like people would think it would be, but it really isn't that much harder. In some ways, it's a lot easier to do the other one because you get to hire people along the way to do a lot of the work for you. So um, yeah, so practically maybe start out with DoorDash or get a job or something like that and then build on top of it. Do rapid testing. With, well, at least that's what worked for me. Try things. If they don't work, move on to the next thing. Just keep trying things. Find something that works. Don't be afraid to try it. Um, one of the, I guess, tactics I use was I do a lot of things for free up front, I say, hey, I'll do this thing for free But if it works, you're going to pay me. And I was always looking to solve a problem. I was never looking to be a parasite. So I was never looking at like, well, I'm going to do this service for you. That's really ambiguous where I won't really be able to know if I'm helping you. It was always a service where I'm like, I know I'm directly making an impact in your business. I can prove it to you so that I'm, I know I'm worth what I'm asking for. And so, um, yeah, just, just get, start saying, I'll do these things for free. Even if it's just to learn. Even if just to learn like we did, we, we didn't know what we were going to do for that business. We said the restaurant, we said, hey, we'll do this for free. Teach us about your business. It was a great way to get in the door and a great way to get started.
0: I guess that's my uh, final question. You mentioned all these books and all the learning lessons on the journey. What are the top books you'd recommend for people at the beginning of this journey?
1: Well, uh, this might be a controversial choice, but I loved the 10x rule by Grant Cardone. I know some people don't like Grant, but... That guy is a genius at what he is a genius at and the 10 X rule changed my life because for me, I was uh, on undercover billionaire. Did you see that? one? Yeah, he was. And he crushed it. It, it, Yeah, he did. (laughs) Yeah, he did. He put his money where his mouth was too. That was brave of him to go on that show. Um, But yeah, like Grant Cardone, uh, that book changed my life. I'm a huge fan uh, of Grant and what he does. Um, He is kind of, he is kind of rough around the edges, but that's just kind of the kind of guy he is. Um, but yeah, it taught me to think bigger. It taught me to think bigger. I thought a, a lot of money growing up was forty thousand dollars a year, and I'd be ri- I'd be rich. Uh, and then later that changed to a hundred thousand, six figures. And then I read Grant Cardone's book, and he said, like, don't limit yourself. What do you really want to make? What do you really think you're, you know, capable of? And um, take massive action. All that kind of stuff. That was a great book. The Compound Effect was a great book. Uh, Atomic Habits was a great book. How to Win Friends and Influence People, amazing book. Um, I just read the third door uh, by Alex uh, benign is it benign? That book was really good. That, that's like what it, was it about the third door. Um, it's just Alex is trying to connect with these really successful people. He's on this mission. He's just a college student. He wants to learn how they achieve their success and um, it's all told as a story. you feel like you're watching a movie reading this book. Uh, and I did the audiobook so you're actually listening to him. Um, that was that was a really I just read that and highly recommend. Uh, crushing it by Gary Vee classic social media. Why you need to be into social media. That's why I started posting videos. Um, I'm sure I have more, uh, rich dad, poor dad was a great one. Yeah, that was a good one. Cool. I, um, I wanted
0: to kind of close on that note and I want to roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, and is there anything you'd like to promote Where can people find you? Is there anything you'd like to share? Here it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to if you want to follow what I'm up to on YouTube, you can go check out my channel. It's just Jess Eccle, my name. If you search that in YouTube, you'll find me and uh, you can follow along with my journey. I'm still trying to make that million dollars. I'm in year two. Um, I was pushing forward hard. The market just dipped. I had a little bit of a setback <laughs> now, um, but I'm hoping to I'm hoping to get there uh, year two and if not, year three. And if not, I'll eventually get there. You know, it's, it's all about the journey. I'm having a blast. So, um, I started my YouTube channel to help people because I was getting a lot of Instagram messages, uh, from people asking how I was doing my, what I was doing. And so this is just me sharing my journey. So you guys want to follow along and, uh, you know, maybe it'll help you too.
0: Where are you on your journey right now?
1: Uh, so I update my income and losses once a month. Last time I updated, I was around 240,000, but I know I'm a lot lower now. So I, I don't know exactly, but at January 1st, I'll, I'll do an update. It's, it's quite a process. It, it's hard to do it like the update week to week. Cause I have to go through and yeah, of course
0: makes sense. And, um, any last words to our audience?
1: Just that for anyone else that, you know, is wanting to, you know, pursue their dreams, pursue their passions, just to believe that you can and, and stop surrounding yourself with people that are telling you, you can't, if you listen to this podcast, you obviously are trying to better yourself in some way. You obviously believe that you're um, you're on some sort of journey and just not to give up, keep persisting, keep, keep fighting forward. Because like it felt there were some days where it's like, it was hard. It was really, really hard. It doesn't, didn't seem like it was going to pay out. Didn't seem like it was going to work. And then, you know, all of a sudden you just reach this point where I believe it's the point where everyone else had already given up, you know, everyone else has tried that before. They'd all given up at that point and you cross, you go a little bit further uh, and you make it and it all takes off and, um, have fun, enjoy the journey and just be you. It's going to be awesome.
0: Nice, Thank you. It's a great note. Thank you for coming on. And, uh, hope to see you on a, on a future podcast as well. Good luck on your journey. Thanks. If you liked this episode, you can check out our most recent one here. And if you haven't already, make sure you click here to subscribe and see the next one. But if you're interested in more tips and tricks, then make sure to join our Facebook group where you can find thousands of like-minded people and you get direct access and support to any business question from the entire Startup Funding Event team.